The first thing everyone should know is that I have never felt the need to know or understand Revelation. Since becoming a Christian as a teenager, I have just accepted that there are things I will never understand completely in the Bible, and that is okay because God's grace can cover the rest. Being asked to preach a piece of Revelation felt even more outside my comfort zone than being asked to preach earlier this year on Palm Sunday. How do you preach on something that whenever it has come up, you've had the approach of, okay, I can live without knowing the answers? Honestly, not sure. But perhaps that is the what and why of this sermon. It's okay that I don't have the answers, and I haven't felt the need to seek them out. The need I have felt from Revelation is that in the end, it is always grace, and it is always Jesus. It isn't about showing up perfect. It's about showing up. And as I searched over the last few weeks for the question of why I am supposed to do this, perhaps it is the question of why do we keep showing up? There is an underlying deep burden sadness to this scripture, something that tugs along the hopeful promise. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is probably my second favorite piece of scripture right after when Jesus says it is finished on the cross. I don't remember when I first heard it. I think it was somewhere in the flurry of when I first became a Christian as a teen, and everyone was throwing God things at you to make you super holy. I don't remember where I heard it or in what context, but I remember being shocked by it deep inside my soul. I grew up in a rough, hard, and sad home. I wasn't loved or really even wanted. There were a lot of days I didn't know what chaos would exist when I entered the door after school, and honestly, most nights I saved all my tears and fears for my pillow. As a child, I didn't know Jesus, and I didn't have hope to cling to. So I did what all traumatized children of the 90s did and stuffed it way down and pretended nothing was wrong. Then Jesus woke me up and called me to him. And as I quickly learned, that did not mean everything was magically better. The words, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, burrowed into my soul and held me together. If you know me at all, you probably not a, know I'm not a hopeful person and not someone that inherently looks on the bright side of things. Some people find it to be a really annoying thing about me, but I personally find it to be an enjoyable thing about myself. But if you can imagine, either look into your own pain or you can borrow mine, how life-changing it is for a child that grew up with no one to take away her tears to learn that one day someone would. 
that there would be no mourning, no pain, or death. Even at the young of young age of 18, I never believed things would get better because I learned that there was always going to be another shoe waiting to fall. People were going to let you down. Family wouldn't be there. Christians would pretend to understand real suffering and go back to their com- comfortable worlds after saying a quick prayer for the sad girl at church. Those were the truths I lived with every day. So why would I have cared about breaking down the mysteries of Revelation? I was simply trying to grasp how God could love me fully and everything still hurt so much. How do any of us know how to process the sorrows and still know how to trust God? And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will be with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The entire story of God is the story of pursuit and love. I have words that hang in my living room from a saying that I made up years ago that says, a fool's pursuit of the cross. It came from a conversation with somebody where I was trying to answer their question about what being a Christian really means. It's a fool's pursuit. It's a trek we run every single day, tricking ourselves into believing we can, we can win. The pursuit is actually already finished. He got us. We are the fools running after a prize we already hold in our hands. We, he has been trying to be with us since before time existed. And I say trying because I have a limited human vocabulary. And it isn't trying like we try and just can't figure it out. He has a path set and has followed it. It has been us that has been trying to understand him for all of time and what we are supposed to do. Then the time finally comes and he is with us and he will dwell with us. He will stand before us and with us. It is so simple. The sentence, God himself will be with them as their God. But a thought so large that we can simply not understand it. I don't know what it will look like to be with God. I have heard so many versions of what they of what people believe heaven to be and what it will look like that I don't think anyone can really know. I couldn't say it doesn't matter because that's, I could say it doesn't matter, but that's not true because your version of hope matters. And isn't that what thinking about heaven is, a way to find hope? I have had kids tell me heaven will be nonstop playing. Adults tell me it'll be nonstop worship. Preachers tell me it'll be a new earth, that all of our brothers and sisters in Christ will be with us. It brings me joy to think of all those things. I don't know, though, what it will look like. I have always kind of hoped that when I arrive to heaven, I will get to hear all the prayers that have been prayed for me. That maybe there is an ancestor that fell on their knees in prayer for the coming generations and had hoped that I would be saved long before I existed. Hearing the humble and gracious words of dearest friends that have prayed for me without me even knowing. The prayers that Jesus gave up for me when he wept in the garden. Words, though, are kind of my thing, so there isn't anything that sounds more comforting than words to me. I could be completely wrong, and I'm okay with that, too, because God will be with us. How could anything else matter in comparison? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This one line in the Bible means something so big and powerful to me that I don't think I even understand it. As I said earlier, the Holy Spirit tied this line to my soul before I even knew what it was. As I spent the last few weeks praying through how to preach it, I was struck 
because this line is perfect beauty. But also, we live in chaos and pain. Individually, we have sorrows, scars, and tears. We live in a world that has become a place that rather than worship Jesus, it tears down everyone and everything. My childhood was hard, cold, and lonely. I grew up knowing I wasn't loved. No one hugged me, no one protected me, but the pain didn't stop there. As an adult, I had to face crippling depression that almost took me from this world. Nagging anxiety that the, the, the depression left behind, like a water stain on a coffee table. Always there, but you can't always tell. I've had to face marriage pains, friendships falling apart, being betrayed. I've had to accept that my blood family will never be the fam my family and will never want me for who I am. As a mother, I've had to face the fact that I am failing my kids because I am short-tempered and I can't save them, and I feel like I should be able to. The world hurts us too. Turn on the news and all we hear is tragedy, natural disasters, political evils, sickness, murders, sex trafficking, drugs, and on and on. Why bother showing up then? Why bother trying if it's not going to get better on earth? Because the Holy Spirit shows up. Because God already knew all the bad would exist. I wouldn't be standing here without what I've walked through. I wouldn't be who I am without the scars. I wouldn't care about loving kids that no one wants if I didn't know what it was to be one of the kids on the line, the ones that hide and cry into their pillows at night. If I hadn't walked through depression, I wouldn't be able to help people see the truth of it. We aren't walking through all the sorrow now for a reward later. I hate it when people offer heaven and dangle it out like a prize for finishing a chore. We are walking through it now because the people around us need us now. It is overwhelming when, it is overwhelming if you look at all the things that need help. We can't save the world. We can't even really change it. I know. Now you're getting the part where I said I wasn't a very hopeful person. The Holy Spirit fills in the hope for me. I can lack all the hope in the world because the Holy Spirit fills my gaps. The Holy Spirit takes my lacking and makes me whole. Uses my pain and sorrows for good. Would I have rather grown up in a home where I knew there would always be food and electricity? Yes. Do I have to wrestle? Did I have to wrestle through that God allowed me to be born in that family? Yes. There was a lot of hurt, anger, and confusion. But knowing pain can be used for good doesn't make it easier to be hurt. But the fact that every single tear I have cried and will ever cry will be wiped away, that's the hope. That's the bearable part. Revelation is filled with a lot of weird imagery, and it's one of the reasons I passed on many of the passages offered. This image, though, is perfect. We have all probably comforted somebody in a moment of despair. We have held the hands of someone in pain and sorrow. One of the most painful things I've had to accept in praying through this was the pain that was beyond my own. At Grace and Mercy, we talk and pray every week about the world's pain and suffering through Thrill of Hope. We acknowledge and ache for it. We don't shy away from the ugly words and real pain. Those tears will be wiped away too. The desperate cries of the women who were saved from being sex trafficked. The frightened cries of slaves set free out of poverty. The discouraged tears of missionaries that needed prayers to get through to the next day. The scared, cry the scared cries of kids that just needed food in their bellies and more. I do not say this because we are better than any other church. I do say this because we have been given a gift to hold these sufferings in our hands and hearts now. We cry for them today. We pray for them today. And our prayers do not go unanswered. 
it would be easy to just take this piece of scripture and hold it selfishly to our own tears, to think on the relief we will want that we will feel one day. How beautiful, though, that this isn't just about us. Our world will be made new, healed from its own core, and there won't be suffering we have to pray and beg God to end because he will have ended it. No devastating fires or floods, no corporations or evil people, no more hunger or fear, just hope, peace, love, and truth. I literally cannot imagine it. In fact, Jim and I went out to lunch the other day, and he said something along the lines of how relaxed he was, and my response was, I don't know that I've ever felt totally relaxed. Even in my most peaceful moments, I hold on to stress and fear, probably because of my excellent childhood skills of repression. I can almost always feel physical stress in my shoulders. In fact, the most relaxed I've ever felt was when I was in the hospital last year dying of sepsis, and they gave me morphine to calm my heart rate. I just remember everything sort of fading away and feeling a sense of relief. I do not think I should use morphine to understand what God wiping away my tears will feel like. But that is the closest image I can come up with now. If we struggle to let go of our own daily stressors, pains, and sorrows, how can we let go of the struggles of the world? We show up. We show up at the foot of the cross and cry out and know he has it all. And we do it every day, all day long. Because whether it is the outside world or inside world, there will be pain. We will yell at our kids and our spouses. We will ignore the friend that needed us. We will forget to be careful and kind with our words. We will inflict wounds onto others that we so desperately long to be healed from ourselves. I'm going to be honest with you that I really thought this sermon would go another way and not be so depressing. (laughs) But we can only work with what we have. It is humbling to know God has to know God has to wipe away tears that I will cause, whether I cause them on purpose or on accident, regardless if I humbly apologized or arrogantly ignored, I will fail every single day, and then I will get up the next day and fail again. One day, though, there will be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain, so I will get up each day and fail, because he never fails, he shows up. Then he says, behold, I am making all things new. As I said at the beginning of this, there is a tugging of sadness through this scripture. You can't heal unless something is broken. And something doesn't need to be made new unless it is wrong. We know the world is broken. What a relief that God also knows this. He has the perfect plan to return and save us all, to offer us perfect rest. Rest, the ultimate goal for every tired mother out there. I think what God is offering and saying is that our work will soon finish. I don't know when, and I'm okay with that, because he follows up those words by saying, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. One, he is obviously pro-writer. Two, his words are trustworthy and true. How many times a day do we hear that in this world? From companies, the news, politicians, pastors, spouses, parents, even grocery stores, and on and on telling us how trustworthy and true they are. Those words easily slip into any statement and move on. But God just told us he is trustworthy and true. The one, thing this world, the one thing in this world that we never have to doubt is God. He always shows up. He was there before I knew when I was a kid, taking the time to stitch together who I am. He was there in my depression, taking me to the next day and the next. He is with you in whatever you are walking through today. He is with the hurt people around the world, and he continues to promise, promise us more. It is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. He says he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. That is the truth. I don't have to worry about the details of what the end will look like, because he is the end. I can rest in that. I know for some people, they enjoy the wondering and questioning about the end, but it isn't something I need. Whatever and whenever we reach the end, it'll look like him with us, and that is enough for me. It is perhaps the most hopeful thing in my life that I can look forward and know that no matter how much I screw up or how much I succeed, I'm not the center of it all. Can you trust God when he says he's the beginning and the end? We are only writing the middle of the story. He is going to give everything. If you love Christ, then all our worries end at the end. We get the ultimate gift of eternal rest. It isn't easy, the walk getting there. There are a lot of good parts in our lives, but there is a lot of pain as well, and it is okay. We can celebrate the good and mourn the bad. I have healed from a lot of things, and I have been able to move past my childhood and let it go. But there are still days it sneaks up on me, and all I can do is cry and mourn that the people who were supposed to love me most simply do not love me at all. And God is there through each tear, and he is true. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual and moral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. My little section ends on that note. And that doesn't sound super fun or encouraging. Whenever I read verses like this, I have a small panic that I am in fact a coward, faithless, and all the bad things, and then I will be in a lake of fire. And I don't like swimming in regular lakes. (laughs) And a lake of fire sounds even worse. Not that we can do whatever we want and move on from our day without thoughts for those actions, but the Holy Spirit covers me, so I don't have to worry about when I mess up. I am made clean by the blood of his son. We are cherished by him because of that. When, it comes, when the end comes, I don't know what the particulars will be. I don't know when the end times are. I do know that when they come for me, it'll be like coming home from a long, hard day and crawling into a warm bed with fresh sheets. A perfect, complete rest. And until that rest comes, there is work to do here. We have to keep showing up to do it the good, the bad, and ugly work. Can you keep showing up? Can grace and mercy keep showing up?